Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. My name is Patrick. Uh, Nolan. Nolan, how are you? It's been forever, not really, since I've seen you. So tell me what's exciting in your life. You know, not not a whole lot, actually. Uh, just played very little video games this weekend, hoping to make up for that in a little bit. Uh, a little bit of D&D coming hopefully this afternoon. Um, yeah, you got to play some last night, right? I did. It, it didn't go quite as we planned. Um, yes. We, so I, I ended up playing with a, a couple of friends from high school. Um, one of them has never played D&D before. And the other one, she got into D&D much later uh, after high school. And we, uh, Kari, who was DMing it, uh, we found out, or I think we both knew this. We just forgot that our birthdays were in the same month. And, and there was a meme that tomorrow had posted that said something about what are you going to be doing on your birthday? And it was like, get drunk. And then Kari said, hey, drunk in D&D. And it led to, hey, we should actually get together and, and play. So we, we played last night. It ended up, I think we played total for about 30 minutes and then chatted for an hour and a half, just kind of catching up. But at the end of it, it was kind of fun because at the end of it, every one of us, or I shouldn't say every one of us, the three of us agreed that we should do this more often. You know, maybe the last weekend of the month on the Saturday, we should sit down together and play because we just, we had a really good time. Kari's our DM. Um, she was telling, I, I'm hoping it's going to be a good story because I'm sure I was throwing her for loops and ringers and doing stuff that she absolutely didn't expect because i mean you've dealt with me as a player i do some shit that you're just like what the hell are you doing Um, that's not a thing but i'll allow it (laughs) exactly uh prime example is there was a situation where um we were ushered into this 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 um courtyard and there was a feast laid out but we were ushered in by this guy who was like uh, i just kept picturing him uh, that, that he had leprosy and so i leaned over to my character leans over to tomorrow uh her character and says don't eat the food because that's how you're going to turn out. And so Kari trying to, you know, encourage us all to eat the food because it was safe. Um, had the main character come down and begin to eat the food. Well, my character just assumed that the, this character knew the right food to eat. So began eating food off of that character's plate. He has a charisma like of like nine or something. So I was like, this is perfect. I'll just play this horribly rude person. <laughs> I can dig it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was funny. And we, I, I mean, we were having a good time. I, I really enjoyed it. But then we took a break because it was drunken D&D. So I was drinking scotch and whiskey and Kari was drinking wine. And uh, tomorrow went and made herself a salty dog. So we were, we were playing. And once we all took a break to go get a drink. Now, I think, Nolan, I've told you this before. Uh, this is from my friend Aaron Schossenbach. I keep a bottle of Jameson down here by the computer. So once the scotch ran out, I just began drinking drinking the Jameson because, well, that's what you do, right? <laughs> yep, that's a good choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just set, kept drinking that. Well, they all t- took a minute to go get some drinks and came back, and then it just divulged into, you know, gosh, we literally have not seen each other since high school. And tomorrow was in a grade above us, and Kari and I graduated together. All of us went to North Pole High School. So it was just fun to sit and chat and reminisce and talk about, you know, the different things that we've learned about people that we went to school with, the teachers that we had, and just how uh, how horribly racist some of them are. And just <laughs> how it's, it's weird, like, thinking about the people that, that we grew up with or, or around and learning that – these people who had influence in our lives, you know, our teachers are some of them are hardcore like QAnon conspiracy theorists. Yeah, you can't control. <laughs> well, you guys are pretty old too, so like 
hey, fuck off. It's a whole different time period, so uh, you got to give the older generation a credit. <laughs> no, you don't. Even nice. <laughs> you don't have to give them any kind of excuses. Well, you and really I think we, we see that a lot too. Like anytime we get together, uh, it's been a while. You know, it's like we're gonna have a session zero, and it's like session zero takes four hours, and actual game stuff takes twelve minutes, and everybody's just happy to be around each other again, catch up, see, just being with people you haven't seen in a bit. So that that's usually to be expected for game one is uh nothing goes according to plan right <laughs> right it, but it was it really was nice to sit and chat with the both of them i had a great time um kari is working on her phd and she's actually doing research uh with dungeons and dragons and role-playing in general uh for her phd so uh she really got into it pretty hard we talked about playing other rpgs and i, I of course as i do throughout vampire the masquerade and they're both like yes please so we may end up like doing like one shots here and there just to try things out and do different things. So it's I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing more stuff with them. Um, I think Kari is a great DM. Just a little bit I got to experience. I mean, I love it when the DM takes the time to add inflections and give you give you the impression that these are different characters and and then is able to roll with somebody being a shithead um, that, and not in a bad way, but that. And, and just go with it. And sh- I think right. it's going to be fun. Being flexible. Yep, exactly. So I'm looking forward to doing more with them. Um, and hopefully we get to. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's not so, very often you get to play. So Exactly. And I think it might be a once a month thing. So we'll see. Uh, I will keep you posted. So our topic of the night is once again the Altered Carbon RPG. Now this originally was going to be the last week that we talked about this game because we kind of, you know, do a subject of the month but we did find out that we are going to have uh, the co-creator of altered carbon rpg on our show next week to talk about that game as well as the new game from hunters entertainment gods of metal uh, ragnarok which is currently on kickstarter which we'll talk about later so that's going to be where we wrap up altered carbon is next week so do make sure you just tune in for that because we got some fun stuff coming up there um we also have uh sean reynolds who's going to be joining us from monty cook games to talk to us about Tolis, and I know you and I are both excited about that because it's going to be really interesting to hear about that world and and learn about Tolis in general. Um, so next weekend we we will have two shows for you guys. We will have Sean Reynolds on Saturday, and then we will have Chris from uh, Hunters Entertainment um, on Sunday at our normal time. So it, we got some stuff coming up, man. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I. It's always awkward trying to come up with questions for people that are experts because it's i'm sure they've gotten them all before uh and you want right. to be a little different but then i have like the most basic questions of like just the silliest things of like what does the mountain of papers look like to get a 700 <laughs> tolis book <laughs> as a finished copy like i mean is it like all a massive you know, are you a mad scientist librarian going on there with notes like i just i want to know behind the scenes right right so it's going to be exciting to talk with them about that of course tolis is coming up uh for is currently available on pre-release uh and altered carbon is available on drive through rpg and gods of metal ragnarok well we'll talk about that one later so anyway we do have some news to cover before we jump into altered carbon because there's some stuff to talk about with dungeons and dragons so let's jump over to that because there was a new ua released and nolan i'm going to turn it over to you so you can break it down for us 
not necessarily the most exciting one for me because I like talking about subclasses, uh, but getting- Oh, I thought this one was cool. <laughs> I was gonna say, this is uh, some character creation stuff for Gothic lineages. And the first thing we kind of talked about was trying to figure out where I, what is a, what's a damn fear? Is that how you say it? Uh, right, it's, yeah, go ahead. So Damphir, Hexblood, and a Reborn uh, looking like, I don't know, we, we felt like maybe some Innistrad stuff was coming. Uh, I don't know. We're, we were trying to figure out where you would use these, what you're going to bring these into. And then we also got kind of excited with the idea that there might be uh, maybe some very good horror stories. I guess it is Mysteries of mm -hmm. Candlekeep, so maybe there are some darker tales, and these are going to be some options, but... Uh, so anyway, three races that you get to pick, uh, starting with Damphir, uh, boys between the worlds of living and the dead, Damphirs retain their grip of life, yet are endlessly tested by the viciousness of hunger, viciousness of hunger. Uh, their ties to the undead grant Damphirs a taste of vampires, deathless prowess in the form of increased speed, dark vision, and life draining bite. Uh, so we kind of have this, I guess you get to be a vampire without going full vampire. And that's a, you get to be the day walker. Right. Right. Uh, and so that's actually, you just nailed it. Uh, Blade was a Dampier. Uh, so a Dampier tends to be the union of a vampire and a human. So much like we get demigods when a god mates with a human, this case is a vampire has dealt, has mated with a human. Very rarely is it that we see it is a male vampire, I'm sorry, a female vampire mating with a male human it is almost always a male vampire mating with a female human. So that that's where Dampires come from. Gotcha. And again, uh, some very nice RP traits. I think more of this stuff is starting to come up, especially with these here. You figure out what hunger sates you uh, based upon what you are. One of the ones I was like, uh, I think if you roll a seven, you get dreams, and that's what you feed on. Uh, and I was like, okay, so is this like my guidance counselor or is this like <laughs> some evil person? So I like that. Uh, part of the origins is of how you got here, why you got here. You roll a one on a D8. You're a reincarnation of an ancestor who was a vampiric tyrant. Uh, so instantly it was like, you know, some of the, the RP stories for the background already I, I can really get into. We haven't even picked a background yet or what you are, why you are. Um, and, and it leads to a huge path of, okay, this is who I am. Do I know it? And if you don't, why you have these things, uh, what you're going after, what are the goals and how much does that manifest? Do you become the monster? Do you fight it? Uh, so I, I thought there was a lot of nice, uh, storytelling that could happen from that one and then say you roll a three and a parasite inhabits your body and you indulge your hunger to sate it so now all of a sudden it's kind of like that warlock pack that's inside your body telling you to do these things which also again is a completely different story than you know the reincarnation of a vampire now all of a sudden you're dealing with a parasite uh i i don't know there's there's a lot of different areas that you could get to this uh ability or this this race um and all of them, I thought, were really fun stories that took a life on their own. You could you could play a group with everybody picking a different origin story and have a very interesting table, uh, just like you could with uh, if everybody was a human. You know, it, 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 they did a good job. It's I didn't get a feeling like, oh, an elf is an elf is an elf. These are all awesome. So to be a damn fear trait, uh, dark vision, you get spider clam. Uh, you, you are proficient with the bite as a simple weapon. Um, 
And while you are missing half or more of your hit points, uh, you have advantage on attack rolls with that bite. When you use your bite to hit a creature that isn't a construct or undead, you can empower yourself to use your uh, use it in one of the following ways. Regain hit points equal to the damage or gain a bonus to the next ability check or attack roll you make. The bonus damage is, or the bonus is equal to the damage you dealt. You can empower yourself with a bite a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. So we're seeing that carried over from Tasha's. Uh, I, again, I, I, like it i think it's cool uh i don't know <laughs> i mean i just i see like you said okay now i i now i can't not see blade so <laughs> right and that's exactly and i think it's even uh vampire hunter d was a dampier too if i'm not mistaken because he wasn't a pure uh, vampire i could i could see that for sure and i could be wrong because it's been a long long time since i've seen that anime uh the next one jumped at me as something that shuri would do because it is a hex blood <laughs> there was a time where she tried to get hag hand and become a hag and we thought she was betraying <laughs> the party and so uh that's kind of what this here is hexbloods manifest hag-like traits such as long life dark vision a variety of magical methods to beguile the senses and avoid the same uh it has a th situation in here where it actually has a section talking about becoming a hag and uh, hags can undertake a ritual to irreversibly transform a hexblood they created into a new hag so that, I think that's what Shree was going for. Uh, again, we get a stack of origins where you come from seeking child. Your parents made a bargain with a hag. You were the result of that arrangement. So we got some into the woods type stuff happening. Uh, Faye kidnapper swapped you and your parents' child. So this kind of reminds me of uh, what's the what's the other vampire one where they swap or not vampire but monster game where they swap out the kids and you're like a doppelganger. Uh, what are they called? I thought there was a thing where they were like, they were demons just replaced the child and grow up as a host and thing. Yeah, that's a, what's the Netflix show? Tales of Acadia. Uh, I think there are the- I haven't watched that one yet. That is a good one. That would be a good D&D &D reference type game. Anyway, demons hop in or devils or these little things swap out with babies and they're shape changers. Is that what they are? Shape changers? I don't know. Sure. I thought there was a Vampire the Masquerade style game with these uh, creatures. Changeling, thank you. Oh, they're changeling. Worried. Well, that's a little different. Yes, that's what they're called. Yeah, in okay. They're called changelings. Okay, so they are swapped out at birth and they grew up in these families and that's how they do it. Uh, anyway, that was my brain fart rant. I don't mess up words. I just ramble. So hex blood traits, dark oh. vision, fey resilience, hex magic, and a magic token is what you get here. Uh, I like, uh, again, dark vision, I think is going to be the theme throughout all of these, especially if you're dealing with a gothic world, lack of sunlight, uh, very handy. Uh, having the Fey Resilience uh, advantage against Charm and Hex Magic. You can disguise self uh, and Hex spells uh, or the Hex spell with this trait, Intelligence, Wisdom, or Charisma is your spellcasting and modifier for these. So you get to choose one when you choose this lineage, uh, which I think is the first time we've seen that you get to choose where your magic comes from. A lot of times it is you're a high elf and you use Intelligence for this ability or uh, along those lines. Um, magic Token. As an action, you can harmlessly pull out one of your nails, a tooth, or a lock of hair. This token is imbued with magic until you finish a long rest. While the token is, is imbued this way, you can use an action to send a telepathic message to the creature holding or carrying the token. So I'm going to rip out my tooth, give it to you, and we can talk as long as we're within 10 miles. In addition, while you're within 10 miles of the token, you can use an action to enter a trance for one minute, during which you can see and hear from the token as if you were located there. So now all of a sudden the tooth has eyes. And uh, 
again, another ability that you can use this. Uh, can't do so again until you finish that a walk. Seems really creepy. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes you yes. can use this uh, once per long rest, at which point your missing part regrows, which is nice because I had questions about what happens when you're out of teeth. So, <laughs> Well, you just gum your food, that's all. There you go, go on, honey, take a scouting trip. I'll be with you. <laughs> yeah, uh, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the last one we got out of this was the reborn. Death isn't always the end. The reborn exemplify this by being individuals who have died yet somehow still live. Some reborn exhibit the scars of fatal fates, their ashen flesh, missing limbs, or bloodless veins, making it clear that they've been touched by death. Uh, this here kind of reminded me of Revenant. Uh, also struck a chord with me as Death Knights. Um, I could see this being a, a story if you're going to do some World of Warcraft type stuff. Um, Faded memories reborn suffer some manner of discontinuity in an interruption in their lives or physical state that their minds are ill-equipped to deal with, which kind of made me think of also baggage and sleevage and then that kind of stuff for altered carbon. Uh, so lost memories on this scale, you get a D8. Uh, a random one here is if you roll a three, you recall a childhood memory. What about that event or who you were still influences you? Um, so I, I like I like that idea. I think it attacks a lot of, uh, again, another avenue of playing something with each one kind of being different to help you figure out who or what you are, why you are, or give you a quest or a mission um, or some sort of baggage to deal with. Reborn origins, uh, things you can or why you could be reborn. You were magically resurrected, but something went wrong, which I thought was a lot of fun. Another random one, you were released after being petrified for generations. Your memories have faded, though, and your body is not what it once was. So you could have been that great adventurer from 200 years, or you fell asleep to the 5,000-year poison gas, and you're waking up in a different area. So, uh, Reborn traits, your type is humanoid as well as construct or undead. You choose when you gain this lineage, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, you do get dark vision like the others. And then deathless nature, you have escaped death a fact represented by the following benefits. You have advantage on saving throws against disease and being poisoned, and you have resistance to poison damage. You have advantage on death saving throws. You don't need to eat, drink, or breathe. You don't need to sleep, and magic can't put you to sleep. You can finish a long rest in four hours if you spend those hours in an active, motionless state during which you retain your consciousness. So the elven abilities pop up in a different way. And then knowledge from past life. You temporarily remember sporadic glimpses of the past, perhaps faded memories from an age ago or a previous life. When you make an ability check that uses a skill, you can roll a D6 and add the number rolled to the check. You could use this feature a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So two avenues there. Uh, you know what? I'm going to use this ability. Something popped up. It could also be a really nice thing of, um, you know, your eyes glaze over and all of a sudden you pick that lock and you have this stare in your eye of not even realizing you did it. Your your fingers memorized it and it, it could cause issues for your character. I think there's, again, an ability that causes a role play is a, is a fun opportunity. So, Cool. So that's the whole thing? That was all three of them. Awesome. I do have a link to, in the show notes to the UA if you guys want to check that out. Um, Nolan, thank you so much for taking the time to dig into those and explaining those to us. We really appreciate that. They're fun. I like seeing them. I'm a bigger fan of classes, but they're getting really good with some of the races and, and, and social backgrounds. And I, I think they're, is it weird to say after six or seven years, they're hitting their stride on some of this stuff? I don't know. But No, I, I think that's fair because I do think it takes some time to get it all figured out. Yeah, I think that I think that is the thing. I think they've kind of hit that thing, and now they're doubling down on what we like. So, 
Right. And I do think, you know, as we see these UAs come out, I know sometimes they are to try to correct some of the stuff that's in books. And we see that eventually as an errata. But a lot of times these UAs are preludes to what's coming. Um, and I, I, I think you're I would not be surprised to see another magic source book soon because I think the last one was Theros and that's been well over a year ago. Um, I do think if they're going to do a magic source book. Innistrad would be a good one. You and I both talked about that world and that we both liked playing magic when Innistrad sets were popular. Uh, so I think that'll be interesting to see. Keep an eye on and uh, we'll keep you guys posted if anything new comes of it. My, uh, uh, the... oh, sorry, go ahead. I've got two fears on that one there uh, that you might finally be right that there's going to be a, a Volo's Guide to Spirits Inspectors or whatever it was after <laughs> five years of predicting it. Um, right. <laughs> my final fear is that we're going to start doing what magic does and do return ofs and sure i i maybe and and maybe not necessarily a fear of bad because i felt like curse of strahd was kind of a, a re-envisioning of the old tale it would like to see that realm spiral out of control or some sort of you know because yes. we're running out of you know we're, we're dealing with monsters and demigods and stuff like that i'd, I'd be curious to see if the planes started to unravel or you know something like that like i think that'd be kind of cool and and go back and and like you said there's a lot you know there's a dragon lance character there and that might be an opportunity mm -hmm. to bring in that so you know it would be interesting to take the idea of curse of strahd where supposedly you know the characters have successfully killed strahd and maybe maybe because i mean in in theory strahd never dies he just re-manifests and and starts the whole cycle over maybe the players are successful and it's caused the entire demiplane of ravenloft to shift and now there's a massive power struggle going on between all the demi lords in and this is me completely speculating here uh there's a massive power struggle going on with within the demiplane of of ravenloft with all the demi lords and maybe that's why we're seeing some of this stuff because it is that darker dreary more undead type horror aspect of the game and to include someone like lord soth as you mentioned there's a raven or a, a dragonlance character in ravenloft would be amazing and there's some great novels that were written for ravenloft and unfortunately in 5e ravenloft has just been okay here's curse of strahd and we're going to move on i would love ravenloft is my favorite plane of of D, D. i would love to see a lot more come out of ravenloft it would be fucking amazing okay <laughs> anyway uh wizards of the coast also announced a new youtube series debuting february 2nd called stuff of legends and this is a riot uh, it is fraggle rock meets dungeons and dragons and i am all on board uh, this is a DD series unlike anything you've seen before each episode switches between the adventures at the table and the puppets that play them as they are uh, take on a kidnapping case in waterdeep the series was created and by and dm'd by jovenshire he is joined by the illustrious cast of Lasercorn, Shanna, Shanna Malcolm, Brandon Rogers, and Lisa Foyles. Uh, the hilarity begins February 2nd with a new episode every week on the Jovenshire YouTube channel. I do have the uh, promo video in the show notes. You guys, you got to watch this because the puppets, they really do look cool. I I think about like whenever I see some of the Critical Role stuff come out, I, I get fascinated by people's animations to it, and it makes the story right. come alive. And so I wanted to I wanted to glaze over it, and not pay attention to it, and then I found myself like, yeah, okay, I've got a feeling of uh, what was it? Was it Cranky Anchors 
where they did the yes, 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 where they did the prank phone calls with puppets, and it was a little more adult, and I could see it getting out of control quickly. So I am looking forward to this. I am too. I <laughs> I watched the preview to this, and I I I was laughing. I thought this this is going to be fun to see. So I am looking forward to this one, guys. Uh, again, I have the link to the uh, Jovenshire's YouTube channel in the uh, show notes as well as the promo video. Watch the promo video. It's so well worth watching. <laughs> Uh, other D&D news, fans of Dragonlance should be excited to learn that we will indeed be getting a new trilogy in the beloved setting beginning this year. Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman have confirmed that the, the details have been worked out with Wizards of the Coast and they are moving forward. It does appear that the first two books um, have provisional titles. It's Dragons of Deceit and Dragons of Fate. And it also, my understanding is that these books have already been written. So it could be that I think we're going to see the first one quickly, uh, and then I'd imagine they'll stagger the releases after that. I did see somewhere else that um, these books will return us to the beloved characters of Dragonlance. So I'd imagine we're going to see Kitiara, Tannis Half-Elven, uh, Riverwind, and, and all of them once again, with the exception of, I think, what, Sturm and Flint are both dead? It, it depends on, I guess, where you go, right? Because after everything sure. is all said and done, you know, Riesling kind of does his thing and nukes the world. So if yeah, there's, well, yeah. if there's, given the titles, uh, I think that might be one of those things of some time stuff maybe happening. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I'm good with old characters. I'm good with new characters. Uh, sure. Picking up I mean, it's it. it's D and D. So the fact that a character could be resurrected, that's absolutely possible. Um, yep. I do have a question, though, Nolan. Do you think with the announcement that we're getting Dragonlance novels, do you think that possibly this means we will not be getting a Dragonlance setting book, at least this year? I I think you'll see it'll depend on popularity, right? I think that's what, one of those things. Of, I, I don't think you can fail with putting out a Dragonlance book at this point in time just because you know the first one's going to be bought out of curiosity, right? We want to see what it is. Uh, and then the second one being already done, they've had their time. You know, I, I, I think it'll be one of those things of you can do that at any point. That's not something that probably Perkins is working on, right? Because you have the people who created the world right there. So I think you could almost see it like a Taldorai source book or something like that, um, where it's, you know, it probably doesn't impede their ability to pump out one or two books a year. So when we actually see it, I don't know, but I, definitely think that they would be silly not to i mean i would this would have to be more popular i think than a magic campaign setting i i would think you're right and and honestly even going back to like the idea of innistrad as a campaign setting i would much rather the see them put out an official ravenloft guidebook instead of just curse of strad so we would have a ravenloft setting and i would 100 percent be on board with that being the setting book that we get this year and then get these novels out for dragonlance let that pump up some of the the excitement for it and then release dragonlance next year um i that would be great i think i think there's an opportunity there uh Again, just depending on the fact that they're still involved as the original people, you know, it's going to be handled for love. It's not, it's not, right. you know, EA taking over Mass Effect from Bioware. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the original people. So, right. We have Weiss I, and Hickman working on these. It's, I think, I think we're going to get, we're going to get the Dragonlance we love, hopefully updated to take care of some of the issues that Dragonlance had. Um, and, and, bring it into a more modern time. I, I'm excited. I, you know, just the idea of reading about uh, Tasselhoff again, just 
because <laughs> I love that character. So I think it's going to be, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I can't wait. Did you know, and I did not know this, that there is 190 novels written in the Dragonlance world? I did not know that. I think I've maybe read eight of them. <laughs> I say I know I have nine because there was three trilogies, and then I think there was like four more that I didn't get. And, but I did not right. know it was that many. So yeah, I apparently no it's popular. I'd be curious to see how many Forgotten Realms books there are. Yeah, if you look at like I suppose with legends and stuff like that for Star Wars, I mean the series it, it probably gets out of hand. See, so, you know, one of my favorite book series, and this is, of course, is not D and D related, is the uh, the Horus Heresy from War, uh, Warhammer Forty K. I absolutely love that series, and I have you know a collection, uh, both digital and uh, hard copies, and I think I have maybe twenty or thirty books. And every time I think, oh, there's no more, I get to reading the checklist, and I'm like, son of a bitch, there's a lot, and and I would be afraid to look at the list of Dragonlance novels. Now, maybe some of them I've read, I probably forgot that I've read most of them because it's been so long but i would be interested in seeing yeah i bet there's a bunch of fan stuff yeah probably and i, and I guarantee you i mean i'm not saying that these are all written by weiss and hickman um i do remember there was a thieves series that i read that i enjoyed and and there was a couple others i do remember reading that were Dragonlance that i thought man this book is just not good so anyway, uh, so we do have a lot of stuff coming or there is a lot of stuff coming out for D&D. I do have a link uh, to the show or in the show notes to the official press release from Weiss and Hickman. If you guys want to check that out, uh, it is exciting. I do. I'm looking forward to picking up the Dragonlance novel. I'll absolutely be reading it. Yep. So let's bounce over to Onyx Path. Not a whole lot of news over there, but there is some stuff going on. Of course, the, the Scion Kickstarter is absolutely rocking and rolling. Um, this, funded in 66 minutes, has currently blown through 13 stretch goals. It's well over $100,000 at this point. Uh, if you're a fan of Scion, you're going to want to check this one out. Remember that this Kickstarter is for two books, so you can pick to back or you can pick one over the other. You'll be back in the project, but you can choose one or the other, or you can back it at a higher level and get both books. So do keep that in mind. I do have a link in the show notes for that. Um, the Jackie's Dreaming Bundle that Onyx Path uh, was hosting. Uh, this was a, a project that they put out uh, to help uh, Jackie Casada, who passed away in December of COVID-19, to help her partner, Nikki Ray, to defray some of the medical costs. Both Jackie and Nikki got sick with COVID. Uh, and of course, Nikki has these massive medical bills and other bills that she's dealing with uh, with Jackie's passing. So Onyx Path did this project called Jackie's Dreaming Bundle because she was huge in the world of darkness, especially when it came to changing the dreaming. Uh, in total, they raised $41,000 to help Nikki Ray defray some of these costs. Um, I thought th I think that's really awesome that Onyx Path did this, and they're donating that money directly to Nikki. Absolutely. Uh, no news on what the next Kickstarter is going to be from Onyx Path, but of course, as soon as we hear something, we will let you know. If you're a fan of World of Darkness, do remember that at least at the moment, um, Paradox has passed the mantle of that over to other people, so Onyx Path may not be involved in that too much. Hopefully, we do see them get back involved. I'm sure there is some negotiation going on there, but at least for the immediate future, we will not be seeing World of Darkness, at least Vampire the Masquerade-related stuff, uh, unless it was a pre-approved project. So do keep that in mind. 
Um, Modifius has announced that we will see the launch of the of, of the free Octung Cthulhu D, 2D20 Quick Start Guide next month. Uh, it includes an adventure that takes place in France and sees the players confronting the evil lurking in Saint Salak. Um, Octung Cthulhu, Nolan, do you know much about this? Yeah. Um, Octung Cthulhu is, of course, Call of Cthulhu, but in this case, there's so interesting, and I learned this from uh, talking to. David, and I can't remember, Larkins, David Larkins, sorry. Um, Octon Cthulhu takes place during World War II. So there's different uh, eras of Cthulhu. And of course, Call of Cthulhu takes place in the turn of the century, early 1900s. Then there's Pulp Cthulhu that takes place in like the 1930s. And then Octung Cthulhu takes place during World War II. So there is uh, that coming out. Uh, Modifius has said they're also continuing to work on the Octung Cthulhu Player's Guide and GM Handbook. And those are going to be released soon. So if you're a fan of Cthulhu and you're a fan of Octung Cthulhu, keep your eyes open for that. We had a Lith Legacy in chat was asking if you've heard any word on the release of Deviant the Renegades. That is a great question. Um, so Deviant the Renegades, of course, was on Kickstarter, where I believe it was a year and a half ago now. Um, I know I was looking through some of the um, uh, Monday meeting notes, and it does look like they're moving through the process. I think they're getting ready to release the kicks or the pdf to kickstarter backers uh and usually that goes through like they release it there is an errata phase they re-release it uh with the updates and then it goes to printing now if you're a fan of um tv and the renegades and you wanted to get that before because uh, i don't believe you can get it on the backer kit anymore uh they will release the pod version uh before kickstarter backers get their book um so keep that in mind if you're if you're anxious about that i'd imagine you're going to see something from deviant within the next probably 30 to 60 days and again this is completely my estimation based on other projects that i have backed from onyx path in the time frame that we got the pdf versus the time frame that it came to pod does that answer your question lith legacy okay perfect glad to hear it it, just remember, keep in mind that it's completely my speculations. Um, Hunters Entertainment, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the show. They did launch the Kickstarter for Gods of Metal Ragnarok. <laughs> I watched the video to this. Wow, this this game looks fun. It looks as absurd as you can even think about it. And I sincerely hope that if Hunters Entertainment puts out an actual play of this, because they did that for Altered Carbon, that they grab Jack Black and they make him be a part of it. Because, oh my gosh, it would be hilarious. In fact, get Kyle Gass too. Let's just get Tenacious D playing Gods of Metal Ragnarok, because that would be amazing. The initial ask was for 20000 and they have blown past that and sitting at around 52000 with plenty of time to go i think there was like 27 days left of course we're going to be going more into this book next week when chris is on our show to talk about it so make sure you tune in to check that out we don't know a whole lot about it i did not dive into any of the mechanics or anything about that game i did go ahead and back it though i, I sat there at work yesterday and it was slow enough that it prompted me to say well i'm not doing anything here i might as well do this i i like a lot of their fluff on the kickstarter as well the hardcore rule book and yeah <laughs> they market the heck out of it and they're doing a good job they did it's like and, and you look through the different uh the different levels that you could back it at it's like um you know okay you can do the pdf you can do this and you want a book fuck yeah <laughs> it's like 
<laughs> and it's like yeah. typed in there, and I think it's hilarious. Now, the unfortunate thing about the Kickstarter, and I think it was true about the Altered Carbon one too, is to get the stretch goals, you actually have to back it at a pretty high level. Like typically, uh, when I do Kickstarters, um, you know, I because I tend to back a few, as Nolan knows, um, and. I usually do around fifty to fifty-five dollars just to get the book, um, and usually for Onyx Path, that's enough to get kick, or the stretch goals too. And some of the stretch goals include like the opportunity to get PDFs of other books. In the case of like Deviant the Renegades, there's going to be a lot of supplements that are put out for Deviant that I'll be able to have access to uh, the PDF. Now, in the case of like um, Chicago by Night, I ended up picking up the books as well because I wanted to have all the books because I'm stupid that way. I like books. Um, with this one to get these stretch goals you had to buy in at a hundred bucks yeah so, and you got everything but that was the only yeah. spot you could and, and not only do you get everything you also get there's they're going to be releasing a a special vinyl album that if you have a record player if you're old as nolan likes to remind me like me you probably do have a record player and yes i do and i'm kind of excited to throw on this album and listen to the metal that they have included in it yeah and i and i think really with the stretch goals i i can see value in there you know 50 bucks for a book is about par for the course uh they've got dice dice tray the metal album uh some guitar picks uh, some Metal God votive candles, Metal God glyph pins, and Metal God statues. And that there, the likeness of the Metal Gods can grace your table or bone altar. There are six total. What scale are they, you ask? They are the scale of Metal Gods. So, <laughs> is, they the, really the, are hyping it up. And, and I, uh, <laughs> like I said, I really hope they get Jack Black involved in this in some way. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a great page. So if you get a chance to look at the Kickstarter, if you're not going to back it, at least scroll through and read the stretch stuff because uh, dice are dice. These dice are literally made of metal and can probably kill a drummer if you threw on them. So we hear, do not throw these at drummers, you know, without good reason. Throw them at your own table and damage the hell out of it like a fucking rock star. Now, some of that stuff is add-ons, like the candles and the dice and stuff like that. There is a cost associated with those. So, although it unlocks a stretch goal, you still have to pay for them. And I think the, like the dice were like $40 or something. Um, the stuff that I'm excited about and, and I'm kind of kicking myself now thinking back to the Altered Carbon one is making sure I have access to the other supplements that they're going to be releasing with those books. Um, I love the Altered Carbon book. They've done a fantastic job with it. Uh, I will be, if available, picking up the POD versions of those of the supplements that come out uh, and i'm hoping that that's going to be the case with gods of metal ragnarok at least get me the pdf so we can start taking a look at it um <laughs> yeah the link for the kickstarters in the show notes guys go check it out because it's like nolan said it's a fun it's a fun kickstarter just to peruse and not even make a purchase you got fozzy on the album it. so i support it there <laughs> that's awesome all right, so like we said, our topic for the night is going to be on Altered Carbon. In this case, we're going to be discussing some of the game mechanics. Now, understand that this is not a hardcore, in-depth look. This is we're just kind of going to go over how the game works. Uh, we did include a link in the show notes from Hunter's Entertainment uh, to the video of how to play Altered Carbon. Uh, really, for the most part, it's a fairly simple system. Wouldn't you agree? I think so. I, again, I think it would take you a time or maybe two to get used to the dice rolls um but it's it i felt like it was pretty simple uh just a new system so 
Right. Uh, I think the key thing to remember when it comes to this system of altered carbon is stat high, roll low. And and that is really important. A couple of things that we want to t discuss. So some of the things that we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about skill checks. We're going to talk about how to determine what you need to roll. And we're going to talk about the dice that you're going to be rolling. And this, this really does cover a lot of the mechanics of the game. So the first thing we want to talk about, of course, is skill checks. Now, those of you who are a fan of any role-playing game understand that you have skills on your character sheet that your character is able to do. And at some point during the game, your GM, your DM, whatever, is going to say, I need need you to make X check, right? Okay, so in the case of Altered Carbon, you would get asked to make a skill check. The way the DM is going to do this, the GM is going to do this, is they're going to tell you, like say in this case, Nolan, you wanted to uh, hack into a protectorate system, a, a low level protectorate system, and you have uh, computer hacking abilities. And I'm your GM, and you tell me exactly what you want to do. And I'll say, okay, Nolan, great. Uh, let me go ahead and have you make a hacking check. Your target result, and this is an important term to remember, your target result is the number at which you need to make your skill check, and you need to roll to that number or lower. So I would say, Nolan, your target result is 8. And you would look at your character sheet, determine which dice you're going to roll, and we'll get in that in just a second. You would roll your dice, and if you rolled an 8 or lower, congratulations, you did it. Uh, and again, the, the other thing to remember is that there's degrees of success, which we're going to get to in a minute, that will affect how well you did it. Now, it could be, yep, you did it, you're in, or it could be, yep, you did it, and holy crap, did you do this and this and this as well. And we're going to get to that in just a second. So I just wanted to discuss that real quick. Skill checks, you roll the dice, you hit the target result or lower, and that's how you successfully complete the task. Fairly simple, yes? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, just to give you an idea of what the target results range looks like, uh, the 12 or higher is a very trivial thing. Uh, it's like opening the window, turning on the TV. You're typically never going to roll for something like this, right? 10 to 11 is something that's very easy to do. 8 to 9 is a normal thing. Uh, 6 to 7 is a tricky thing. 4 to 5 is challenging. 2 to 3 is complicated. And 0 to 1 is nearly impossible. Now, they say nearly impossible because you can always roll a 1. Yep. It's just like in D&D, you roll a crit. No matter what, you have hit what you're trying to do. Where the target number can change is when you start including attribute bonuses. And this gets a little weird. So in this case, um, you want the target number to be higher, right? Because you want to be able to roll below it. So in the case of like the computer hacking scenario, let's say um, there's a very specific thing that goes on within this computer hacking situation. And you happen to be really good at that very specific thing. We'll say it's security. And so you have computer hacking security specifically, and it gives you a plus two when rolling against security. So I would say, Nolan, I need you to make your, your computer hacking check, but it is going to require you to have some security ability. And you're like, great, I have security at a plus two. So when I tell you that the target rate is eight, and you say, but I have a plus two, it is now 10. And you get to roll 10 or lower because you have that plus. 
So attribute bonuses are very important and making sure you stat correctly is very important. So this is really one of those things where you need to make sure you're choosing your archetype correctly because it's going to help you as you stat your character. Make sure you're able to do the things you want to do. Right. I was just checking chat real quick to see if there's any questions. You're good. Um, good. So we talked about degrees of success and there's also degrees of failure. So, and, and I'm going very slowly through this to try to explain it as clearly as I can. So we go back right to that computer thing that I asked Nolan to roll. He's rolled his dice. He has rolled a six and he needed a 10. This means he has four degrees of success, and these are great. Degrees of success can be used to do other things. They can be used <clears throat> in situations where you need to cancel things out. Uh, on their turn, a character can use their, their degree of difference as if it were a degree of success in their own favor by converting it to a degree of difference represented by, uh, that's never, never mind, that's not important. Um, you can use your degree of success to cancel out your opponent's degree of success in the case of a contested thing. So that's really important to remember. Uh, the best skill check obviously is the lowest skill check. And the other thing that is, it becomes a narrative thing. So in the case of like the security situation where I say, Nolan, make your roll, you rolled a six, you have four degrees of success. I'm able to say, not only did you succeed in trying to hack into this system, you've been able to completely circumvent it and it will be down for the next three hours when you're only trying to get one now. And there's plenty of times where you're like, well, hold on. I don't need it to be down for one or three. That's going to raise other alarms. I need it to be down for one completely. And, you, you know, just work with your GM in that situation. Because I think there's been times where you and I've played and I've said something. You're like, well, wait, that's a little further than I wanted to go. Yeah, you do really and good. And we've had to back it back in. Well, I think there's opportunities to drop those things. Hey, while you're while you're cycling through the information, you, you know, you did so well that three other things caught your eye that you can put away for later. Or, you know, yes. you're, you're scrolling through files and like two names pop up that you didn't expect to see connected to this. And now you've thrown in some plot hooks to help them with it or whatever. Right. So. right. so you can use this degree of success to enable those kind of things. And it, it really does become a narrative situation at that point, because I could say very, very simply, and I was watching some of the live play with when Ivan Van Norman was uh, jimming it, and he would say, why don't you tell me what you were trying to do? Okay, great. And now we can give you that with your degrees of success. Worked really, really well. Um, you see and that then, a lot too. Uh, I I watched the uh, we were talking about the Alter Carbon uh, anime that came out resleeved. Um, there there's a situation in there where she gets a ID card, goes into the computer to look for. She's like an undercover cop, tries to grab some information. And while she's there, she accidentally discovers extra information that's pertinent to the story and changes how some of the outcomes come because she did it too well. And so that's, it really yeah. does. They, they talk a couple times about it in the book as well of uh, cinematic purposes uh, for that kind of stuff. So it, it's awesome. I really like that idea. Like, yeah. could, Hey, I need you to carry this bucket up, you know, in, in D and D like, okay, make a roll. You need a five, I roll a 20. Cool. You pick the bucket up. That's what happens. Yeah. And I think we've even in like, even in our games of D and D because of other storytelling games that we've played, we've started to incorporate that. Not only did you do that so well, you got this and this too. Yeah. And, and I think those, that is, I think it's a great way to include, you know, makes people feel good about the high role that they got. You never waste a crit. Right. Exactly. Um, 
but there's a counterbalance too. So in the case of like I told you to roll a 10 and you're rolling a d12 because you've got really bad stats and we're going to get to that in a second and you roll a 12, well now you have two degrees of failure that you're dealing with. Um, and we'll get to luck dice here in a second. So that means not only did you fail, you failed really bad and there's going to be consequences for your actions. So where you get the degrees of success that are positive, you do have degrees of failure that, again, goes into that narrative aspect that can cause you to have issues further. Yep, and and sometimes if it is a bigger deal too of picking a lock and you fail by one degree of success or whatever, it's like, okay, I really need my players to get through the door. It takes you about three minutes longer than you wanted to be here. Uh, right. You know, and, and now you've tripped another alarm or, you know, you, you, can, you can give them the win uh, but have a chain of events happen because they did it poorly or, you know, it, cause again, sometimes the dice just aren't in your favor. Right. And this really pulls on the story path system from Onyx path where they talk about you do these things. And then you had this, this amazing failure or, or, or I think they call it success at any cost. So yes, you succeed, but there's going to be a price for it. Yeah, so it could be, yeah, you failed, or... but right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, okay, I, so. I liked, uh, and I think the other thing in there too is, you kind of touched on a little bit was the bonus rolls and the luck dice, um, and that's kind of its own section as yep. well. But just adding to the degree of <laughs> of opportunity for success or failure as the as the uh, storyteller, I think can help on. You know what? I need you to win on this, or I need this to be a little more interesting. Roll a bonus dice. <laughs> Yes, um, and we're going to get to those in just a second. Uh, in fact, that's the very next subject, but I do want to touch on aces real quick. Uh, an ace is something that happens when you roll an unmodified one. So you have bonuses and such that allows you to roll your dice, and you are able to roll a one and succeed. So that's that's just like rolling a 20 in D&D. You get criticals, and, and um, those are awesome. Yeah, it'd be like I said, that'll be the only weird part about it is like, oh, I rolled a wait, I rolled a one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Getting used to rolling low is going to be different. So. <clears throat> so let's talk about I, I don't want to go into opposed checks because for the most part, opposed checks work, work like this. You each make your roll, whoever and you both pass. The way you determine that is whoever has the most degrees of success wins. So really simple on that. And I think that's one of those things of, uh, we, we saw that with Vampire as well. The role system's yes. fairly simple. Um, combat, I think your first few times will be kind of a, a slog or a bog down a little bit just as you get used to it. Um, but I you know, I really don't think it was that bad, I think, with the opposed checks and stuff like that. A, a session or two, and I think most people would have it down. Right. Uh, there are saving throws that you're going to be required to make during during the game. Uh, they're usually in response to something happening and you don't want to like the fireball being dropped in the room or, or something like that, where it's a reflex. Uh, saving throws differ from other skill checks because they are outside of the character's declared intent. And they are usually penalized with a difficulty and may require a character resolve. Uh, I believe that's stack points, if I'm not mistaken. But they otherwise function exactly the same as skill checks. There's a lot of symbols in the book that I have not I don't remember, so there's there is some issues there. Um, it does go into specializations, like we were talking about the security specialization, and that is some things that uh, that you can do. Uh, there are so, 
it gets weird with specializations because like whereas before we we're talking about having computer hacking and then security if you don't have that security you attempting that role is going to impose a negative um, whereas if you do have security it may not give you or will not give you the negative and very well may give you a positive so in this case if, if like you're attempting to do the computer hacking you do not have the security aspect it's like yes you can make the role but remember your your target number is going down by three so where it was eight now you need to roll below a five on your d12 and the examples they give in the book are you know firearms in general and then firearms pistol or what you're trying to pull off right. uh, so it, it does get specific to your training um a basic one there is yeah i, I like this idea because it's like hey in DD, make an athletics check that encompasses all athletics and here it's like uh we need an athletics of swim eight or else it's minus two and you're like well i got a lot of muscle mass i'm swim like a rock I'm like all right well minus two to your role i mean you can figure it out but it's not going to be michael phelps so good luck so I, I I like that kind of thing. I like that level of specialization, uh, just because it, again, further customizes a character. This is what I'm good at. This is what I know. And also, there might be a story why you're not good at swimming. So, yep. Now we've talked about different dice in the in the in the system, and that is something that is very integral to this system. And it's really important that people understand this. Um, if you have a skill of one, you are not good at it. Yes, I know how to do this thing, but I'm not very good at it. So that means you're going to be rolling the worst die in the game, which in this case is a D12. So again, this and this is indicative to the whole thing where I say, okay, Nolan, I need you to roll a six. Well, you're rolling a D12. Yep, and so you, 50, 50 shot, give or take exactly. levels of difficulty. Right, and that's before any levels of difficulty are added. Uh, if you have a level two in a skill, you are, your skill level is low and you're rolling a D10. Um and the cool thing is I do like this function. It says um, skill level of two can choose to automatically post unopposed checks for a narrative reason if the TR is 15 or higher. Uh, and every level has that. And I thought that was really cool. I like that they included that. It gives you the ability to say, um, I can just go ahead and narrate through this. And, and I think that's right. cool. Yeah, the, the opposed check is an eight and you're rolling your best dice of the D4. You cannot fail this. You've This is what you do. Like this is your reason for being so you can't mess it up and so matt mercer matt mercer stuff how do you want to do this yeah exactly yep that's exactly it so skill level three is moderate you're rolling a d8 and you can choose to uh, automatically pass unopposed checks of tr12 or higher skill level four is a d6 and you can choose to pass tr levels 10 or higher and then lastly skill level is a d4 um, and you can choose what is it tr8 or higher this means you're a master you are you're takeshi kovac you are as good with every weapon that you pick up as any other weapon on the street you can pick up the car beat the shit out of somebody with it and still roll a d4 because you're just that damn good i know i am thank you <laughs> i'm glad to pump up your ego there pal <laughs> Uh, so I do want to get into bonus dice real quick. Uh, bonus dice, Nolan mentioned these earlier. And bonus dice, there, there's situations where uh, bonus dice can be added to a character's dice pool. When rolling a bonus dice, the players may pick the skill check die or the bonus die with the most favorable results. Now, these are interesting in that it's really, the, it's up to the DM. It's up to the, the DM GM to decide whether or not you're going to get a bonus dice because maybe you're attempting something that... Uh, 
is just really good, you know, or, or you've, you've narrated the shit out of something. You've role played the hell out of something. And the GM's like, you know what? You did a really good job with that. Why don't you go ahead and add a bonus dice to your dice pool? Well, and I think there, there's a couple of opportunities there too, because it's like, okay, I want to pick the lock and you're like, all right, do you have thieves tool? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Times to it. And now you're rolling 3d8 because your equipment, you, you have the chip to let you bypass security. You know, the hacking is easier because of events that you've done. Um, and then, uh, the second part of that is they talk about mismatch. It doesn't have to necessarily be advantage. So if you're, you know, we're talking, if you have a skill check for a D eight and your gear has a two DX or plus two DX because of the thieves tool, you get to roll three D eight. The other opportunity is mismatch. Right? And the example that they give is a character can have the very respectable rating of D6 for medicine, but have access to medicines that add a D12 to the dice pool as a bonus action. The D6 will be more than likely uh, sufficient, but the additional D12 offers the character a marginal safety net in case the D6 results in a failure. Uh, lucky dice results and or difficulty can be added to both dice, dice, re, dice results as GM discretion. So uh, again, that is one of those things of, you know, I'm really good with this. Go ahead and use it. Listen. It's uh, it's it's an exceptional made item. Go ahead and add a D12. Uh, and, and so it does. I like the idea of the storyteller getting involved um, without, you know, in, in that way of adding to the, this is a good moment. Uh, this is going to be a great thing, you know, whatever. Right. And the cool thing is, is like when you roll these dice, when you roll the bonus die, you get to choose which dice you want to use. They don't both add to your dice pool. So if you roll your skill check dice and you roll a six and you need a five, and then you roll your bonus dice of a D12 and you roll a two, you get to say, I succeed, which is really awesome. And and like you were talking about, this item is really well made. So think of the situation where your character has been shot up. You're bleeding really bad. The person next to you is, you know, the fight's over. They're trying to save you. They have medicine skill, but they need something to stop the bleeding. And they rip off their shirt and use that to bandage you up. As the GM, I can say, great, go ahead and roll your medicine. Your TR is six. Um, because it's, you know, you've been shot up pretty good. It is a little bit more difficult, but you added the shirt to the aspect. So now you actually have a bandage. You're going to go ahead and roll a D12 bonus dice. Yep. So it gives you two opportunities to succeed. Now, in the case of he's like, I have a med kit in my backpack and I can 100%, you know, patch him up. Awesome. Roll and you're now rolling a D6 bonus dice or a D4 or I'm a surgeon and I have my surgeon tools right here and I have everything I need. Great. Now you're going to roll a D4 bonus dice. Yep. And and then and the, the other thing on that there is a bonus die cannot result in an ace or a catastrophe. Uh, Correct. So the DM can't be like, hey, I'm going to try and help you out and also screw you at the same time. <laughs> so this is to help the situation uh, in this situation. Right. So if you roll a one on your bonus dice, it's just a success. It is not an ace. If you fail, like if you roll the most extreme number on your dice, it is not a catastrophe. It, you can just choose to ignore it. It's just a failure. Well, yeah, you got the bandage. Well, roll the 12. I rolled a 12. Perfect. That guy was a leper. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the other dice that you can add to your dice pool is the luck die. Um <laughs> These are really interesting too, and and this is again a DM related thing where the DM can say we're going to add a luck die to this, and it could be good or bad. Um, it could be, yeah, you know what, you've you've had a string of failures right now, and you feel like a string of bad luck. Go ahead and add a luck die to it, and 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 the reason they're adding that is is it could be a bad thing. 
Um, Luck dice is rarely used is rarely useful in combat and other opposed checks since both sides are relying on a ch- on chance to a similar extent. However, if the GM feels that the luck plays in a, su- a substantial role in a character's action, such as a particularly risky move, it can be applied. Uh, the way the dice is handled varies from situation um, the characters face and what kind of the story the GM is telling. It is recommended that luck dice be used when the difficulty is variable or otherwise unknown. This is especially true if the character's attribute, training value, or skill level is great enough so that the rolling a failure of any kind is numerically impossible without it. So you talked about where the TR is 8 and you're rolling a D4. Well, the DM can choose because they want to add a risk of something. They can choose to add a luck die to it. And the way this works is, and this is really interesting, uh, if you roll a luck die and your luck die rolls the highest possible face value, no matter what your other die is, you have just endured a catastrophe. Which is <laughs> almost kind of bullshit because as a player, you may feel like the, the GM is, is trying to fuck you over here. But it does add a level of narration to your game. Because there's always a chance, you know, there's always that chance that Kovac, who's an excellent combat technician or, or whatever, attempts to do something and fails so miserably that even he's going, what the fuck just happened? And he had a stroke of bad luck. <clears throat> so there are different levels of luck. Uh, the GM handles it in uh, some of the following ways. Beginner's luck. Uh, the option is applied when the stakes are low, but the story is still wide open in its possible outcomes. In this situation, the luck die is treated as a bonus die, uh, but will trigger a stroke of luck. A stroke of luck is uh, kind of when, when what is it? Um, when the luck die rolls an ace. Both. Oh, that's right. When both dice are aces, you get a stroke of luck. That's um, the the one guy in the gun room type situation, and all of a sudden, he ducks, and they all shoot each other at the same time. You don't know how you right. walked out of the room. <laughs> That's exactly it. Good, good call. Um, pressing their luck. Uh, we've all been in situations where we're trying to do something, and we want to push it a little bit further. Well, that's going to be pressing your luck, and that's where a GM could add that dice. Uh, in this case, it does not act like a bonus dice. Then there's making your own luck. Uh, they're relying on their skills as opposed to the tools that they have available, which are being misused, being pushed through usable limits, or otherwise voiding their warranty. I love that line. <laughs> In this case, a luck die is added to any bonus dice, but not skill check dice. So that gets really interesting too. So you roll your luck dice and your bonus dice, and you actually have to add those together in this case, because there is the chance that you could break the tool that you're working with, but it doesn't add to your skill dice. John Wick killing people with a pencil. Yeah, exactly. And and the pencil not breaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, tough luck. Uh, this is uh, the luck dice is added to both the skill check dice and any bonus dice. This is obviously reserved for the most dire situations represents the characters who are the most imperiled. Uh, let's face it. There's been times where we do something in D&D where it's probably shouldn't have happened, but it's sometimes or it because we rolled the dice it happens and i like the aspect that yes it, it can happen um but it's it's going to be rough yep and then there's dumb luck <laughs> this one's kind of interesting dumb luck is at a player's discretion a character may substitute their luck die result for their uh, for their skill check and all other bonus dice results to do this they must play that is a stack point equal to the difference between their skill check die result and their luck die result the option removes and replaces their skill check result entirely if the luck die is an ace or if it's highest face value possible then this option cannot be used so the example they give here 
me scroll down here. Um, Celia rolls a d8 on her skill check and gets a 7. For her luck die, she gets a 4. This would count as having it rolled an 11. In this case, Celia wants to defi uh, defer to her dumb luck. As such, she pays the difference in stack points. So in this case, three stack points and treats the luck die as a result of four as her skill check result. As a GM, you may want to imp impose an escalating stack cost. Uh, that's really not important. So interesting ways to do that. Now, of course, this is how you handle skill checks. And really, skill checks, as we know in D&D or any other game, are really the root of the dice rolls that you're going to be making. Now, we're not talking about combat. We're not talking about getting into rolling initiative or anything like that. This is really just kind of handling the skill checks and the mechanics of the game in and of themselves. Wouldn't you agree? I think so, especially in the storytelling path. Right. Uh, so when it comes to combat, guys, we did not take a look at that because we felt like it was going to go longer than what we had time for. And even as such, we're already about 10 minutes over our normal time. So there's this game. I got to tell you, the game is awesome. I've looked through this. I've watched some uh, some of the live plays that Hunter's, Hunter's Entertainment has put out. This game is really cool. There's a lot of neat functions in the game. And I love the artwork in the book itself. I love that they've pulled from the... Um, the show and included that um i i really i want to play this game i think it looks like a blast yeah i i'm of the same mindset uh i could see making a character and i i i think seeing it like would be completely different to just from a standpoint of I've, D, D, I feel like i need a party right uh, this one here i could see a mm -hmm. small group almost being not necessarily better but easier to do as well you know if you had the one-off type situation or whatever and you know, you see Kovach alone making a couple allies here and there, but usually it's kind of one of those things of, you know, you're investigating something, you're a detective on something, you're being stealthy. I mean, it's not usually uh, a Schwarzenegger movie. You're not kicking in the door, blowing up an entire building and walking out with the explosion behind you. It's very stealthy, sneaky, espionage style, which lends itself to a smaller group. Yes, I, I think you're 100% right. And I think the the ones that I've watched, uh, I believe the, the first one that came out did have more people. And I think there was like five players. And the next one had four. Um, both of them were good. I enjoyed them both. But I do think if you had a group of two to three players, you could really dig into this game and, and get some intrigue. And, I, and I'm looking forward to some of the supplements that they're going to be putting out for this game. Um, I would like to uh, dive into that a little bit more just to get an idea of what a story would look like i know there's some examples in the book itself and i've been reading the altered carbon books by richard k morgan which are fantastic by the way nolan i highly recommend you read them um and i highly recommend anybody who might want to play this game to read them because it does give you a level deeper than what you're going to get from the show um uh, all of them are good. Just if you do read the books and you're a fan of the show, just remember uh, season one and season two are an amalgamation of book one. So yep. don't get into book two and be like, what the hell? Um, so just keep that in mind. I, I like the game. I, I, I agree. And I, I think that'd be one of those things. If, if you had all the time in the world, you play with three people. Um, I can see from like season one of the show, you know, you have, one person playing Kovac, you have one person being, you know, the innkeeper, you got one person being the detective and Sundays you get together and play the game, but Wednesday, you know, Thursday, Friday, you had little one-offs of what did you find mm -hmm. out today? And then they come together for kind of the big, thing. you know what I mean? Like you could have those little uh, intermediate style games to piece together a, a major story and be like, I haven't seen you, you know, you know, all day. What have you been up to? Like, well, 
you know, at the police right. station, I found this, or this person stopped by to see you. This is how I dealt with them. And I don't know, it, it could be a lot of fun. Well, it's, it's interesting when, when I think about, cause like I said, I am reading uh, broken angels right now, which is book two. And, you know, we've talked about the transhuman aspect of altered carbon of the game itself. And that's one of the themes in this book um, is the aspect that like, so they're, they're going to this dig site, right? And they need a, a, a secure team. Well, they've gone through basically a, a store of souls, if you want to call it, like a street market or a, a meat market kind of thing, where they went to this place and quite literally bought like, I think it was like 3,000 stacks of soldiers who had been killed in this war that's going on on this planet. And then they put them all in virtual, as they call it, and they analyze the shit out of them to find out which team is going to be the good one. And of that like 3,000, they're able to pick like, I think it's five or six. And this is all done in a two to three month period in virtual, which is like two hours in real time. And, and so, the, and then there's a the whole issue of Kovac and the person he's working with interviewing them, which takes months. And, and then there's the integration of their sleeves, which takes weeks and months. And again, we're talking hours. And, and so it completely goes past that. And, and, and they're past the whole human aspect of it. So th- they've done a great job with this, with this role-playing game of capturing that element and bringing that into this world and i i couldn't recommend watching the actual plays enough if you really want to get an idea of what the game is like because they do a really good job all the players are, are fantastic so and i'm really looking forward to having chris on the show next week to dive into this game a little bit more and even talk about ragnarok because i think that game's going to be fun yeah i'm really so, excited for that me too nolan that is all i have we have gone on a little bit longer than we normally do uh is there anything else that i'm missing that we should talk about before we sign out I don't think so. We covered it. Perfect. Guys, thank you so much for jumping in, Chad. Uh, We appreciate it. Uh, We love getting the questions and talking about anything that you guys want to talk about. We're always looking for new ideas. Uh, Hopefully we we can get some information on Deviant here soon because I'd imagine that's one of those that we would probably take a look at once we get. I know we've done a little bit on it, but it'd be fun to dive into that game a little bit more too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We'll... I'm excited for the interviews. Next week should be a good weekend. So if you guys are around or get a chance, uh, take a look at those... uh, we haven't we've had some great interviews in the past and usually come away more excited about games uh in every aspect <laughs> just because right, the passion right. comes through uh, with these people so uh, and the number of times we've done an interview with somebody and i end up backing a project that i didn't think i was gonna back yep <laughs> yep so well guys that is the show for this week thank you so much for joining us bye